The two most important days of your life are the day that you are born and the day that you figure out why. Jesus, of course, knew why he was born, and thankfully he tells us. But for us, it's easy to be preoccupied with the what of Christmas. The what of the manger, the what of the angels, the what of the wise men and the uh, shepherds and Mary and Joseph. And it's possible to feel the magic of the what and miss the reality of the why. But the why is what is really important. You see, a lot of people have been born. Yet no one's birth accomplished what Jesus' birth accomplished. And so why Jesus was born is worth talking about on this Sunday before Christmas, to be sure. And so I want to read you what Jesus himself says about why he came to the world. And it comes to us out of his own mouth, Jesus' own mouth, at a point in his life where you might not expect it. A point in his life that is somewhat removed from Christmas itself. And uh, I'm going to read from the book of John, chapter 18. And I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles as well. John chapter 18. And uh, it doesn't take much math to realize there are 21 chapters in the book of John, and 18 is getting pretty close to the end. And so Jesus, near the end of his life, tells us, this is why I was born, and this is why I have come. So I'm going to begin reading in John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas 
was a robber. And there, during his trial, Jesus tells us, this is why I was born and this is why I have come into the world. Jesus was born and came into the world to bear witness that he is the true king who saves the world. The purpose of Jesus' birth and his life and his death was all the same so that he might tell us without question that he is the true king and that as the true king, he reconciles human beings to God. And so that's where we pick it up in the trial. Pilate had just been talking with the Jews. He entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and asked him the question, Are you the king of the Jews? It's ironic that this is the question, because that's why he was on trial. He was on trial because... His countrymen, fellow Jews, put him forward as claiming to be the king of the Jews. Pilate wanted to investigate that claim, and so he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And ultimately, Jesus was crucified under a sign that read, King of the Jews. But that had been the issue his whole life. The idea that there would be a king of the Jews somewhat surprised the religious leaders when the wise men came from a far country asking to see this baby that was born king of the Jews. It infuriated Herod when they found that king of the Jews but did not expose him to Herod's murderous plot. His message from the beginning had been the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His most famous sermon began with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His favorite stories, we call them parables, were all about the kingdom. They almost always started the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so now, at his trial, they're still asking the same question. Are you the king of the Jews? And in verse 34, Jesus uh, answers his question with a question. That's one of the things that frustrates us most about Jesus, isn't it? Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? In other words... Jesus wants to push the, push the issue just a little bit more. Jesus wants to make sure that Pilate doesn't miss the importance of the question that he's raising. I mean, Jesus knows. We're in the middle of a trial. He knows where it's going. He knows why he came to Jerusalem. He knows all of that. But Pilate doesn't, and he doesn't want Pilate to miss it. And I would say, I don't want you to miss it either. I want you to pay attention 
to this question and to the way that Jesus responds. Jesus wanted to have a different sort of conversation with Pilate, and I suspect he wants to have a different kind of conversation with us. He wants to press the issue. He presses it to Pilate, are you looking for a true king? And he presses it to you. Are you looking for a king? Pilate deflects as though this is an unimportant question. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. Blah, blah, blah. That question comes at us and we somehow get some kind of inferiority complex like, oh, there's people who don't want anything to do with Jesus or there's people who are against Jesus. When in reality, from the very beginning, people have been asking the very same question to Jesus himself. Of course, they're not going to want it. Of course, they're going to pose it because when you encounter a true king, you have to adjust your life. And not everybody's prepared to do that. And then Pilate closes by saying, what have you done? What have you done? What makes you, what, what have you done that makes them think you're a king? The proof is in the doing. After all, I mean, think about it. If I was to stand up here in front of you and say, ha-ha, changed my mind, I'm the king of the Jews. I can tell from the look on your face, like that's the most stupid thing anyone's ever said. And you're not going to believe me. And I shouldn't be shocked because I've really not done anything that to suggest that I actually might be the king of the Jews. Thankfully, because I don't, wouldn't want that job. But really, the proof is in the doing. What is it that a king does? That's the question Pilate has for Jesus. And in verse 36, then Jesus answers that question. What have you done? To which Jesus answers with this, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, what, what do you think happened at that point? Here, Pilate's feeling the pressure of the Jews. He's interrogating Jesus who he doesn't understand. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. I mean, can't you just see him roll his eyes? Really? You're going to go there with me? But then he begins to answer the question. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not from here. This is the answer to what have you done? What have I done? I'm telling you, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms you're used to. It's not of this world. We didn't even resist being delivered over the Jews. We're not attempting any kind of coup or overthrow. 
My kingdom does not operate like an earthly kingdom. We're really no threat to Rome at all in any traditional sense. And so Jesus bears witness to a kingdom that is not of this world, that represents the world that God inhabits breaking in to our world. The breaking in of the new creation into this old creation. Eternity intersecting time, heaven invading earth. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus rules this kingdom and He's not dependent on the sword. He doesn't amass power for His own use. He doesn't need polls or pundits or popular opinion in order to get things done. It's not the kind of kingdom that you are familiar with. His kingdom is not from around here. And so Pilate doesn't know what to do with them. I mean, if you're, if you're a king whose kingdom is not even from around here, are you even a king? That's verse 37. So you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. You're answering the question yourself simply by asking it. And then he says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? As though here we go again, having more philosophical discussions that are removed from real life. Jesus gets down to it, and here's what he tells us, right? He was born for this. He came into the world for this. And as really one of his final acts, one of his final words, he gives us this summary purpose statement for Christmas. This is why I was born, and this is why I came into the world, to bear witness of the truth. And people have, been, people have been struggling with that his whole life, and they've been struggling with that ever since. It was those wise men who said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We know what you do with the true king. And they responded in worship. And others on the other hand, responded with fury and rage. He was born for this. And he says, he came into the world. I was born and I came into the world. Now, that, I'm guessing, is not how you would describe your start. If it's your birthday, say, and you did figure out why you were born. That was the second most important day of your life, and you figured it out, and you were going to tell me. You might say, this is why I was born. But you wouldn't say, this is why I came into the world. Because Jesus here is 
uh, consciously expressing his preexistence. He's consciously uh, admitting that he, in fact, was the Son of God. And he came into the world on purpose, on behalf of God the Father. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world. Jesus is clear that he came from there to here. His kingdom was not of this world, and he came here to establish it. And so what does he say? For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. As soon as I say to bear witness to the truth, it invites the second question, doesn't it? It invites us to say, well, what do you mean by that? Or, in the way that Pilate talked about it, what is truth? Okay, you don't want to say that. You just want to say, well, what do you mean by that, maybe? Because Jesus tells us the purpose of his birth and the purpose of his coming, and we need to pay attention. He came to bear witness to the truth. And so how are we to understand what this truth is? He came to, under, he came to bear witness to the truth. Now, I, I, I want you to realize that he's not speaking merely in terms of propositional truth. I came to give you a truth claim, a statement that is falsifiable, but true. He's not making an epistemological statement about how we know truth. And I think that is part of what exasperates Pilate when he says, what is truth? The truth had to do with who Jesus is. Jesus is bearing witness of himself and all that God is ushering in in this new creation through him. The truth is the non-negotiable reality that the only way to be right with God is through Jesus. The truth is that when King Jesus reigns, the subjects in his kingdom are for the first time in their lives fully human. This idea, this true idea that God himself is righting everything that was wrong is what God was doing in the person of Jesus. And Jesus was conscious of from the beginning. For this I was born and came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now in Matthew's gospel, we're introduced to Jesus as king by the genealogy, by the wise men, by Herod's vicious reaction, by Jesus himself who says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the Gospel of John, where we're reading now, we see, we see it to be different than this. We're introduced to Jesus in a different way. 
not by actors or not by uh, people who are speaking about Jesus, but we're introduced by the gospel writer himself who recognizes Jesus as God's gracious and true expression of himself in the world. We're told that Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The way that God expresses Himself in the world is through Jesus. And then He goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The truth Jesus bore witness to was himself, that he himself in the flesh was all that God wanted us to know about himself. And then as John continues to tell us the story of Jesus, in chapter 4, he uh, encounters a woman who was an outcast. And deserved, you might say, even to be an outcast. Jesus talked with her about drawing some water and getting a drink, and she tried at various turns to deflect the conversation, much like I probably would if I was talking to Jesus. Until she deflected it in the wrong direction, and she said, Where do you Jews say that we should worship? On this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus answers, and he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus then goes on to tell her, I am the true Messiah. I am the one who can give you to drink of the fountain of living water that, from which you'll never be thirsty again. And Jesus, as the truth, is the one who satisfies the deepest soul thirsts that she or any of us may have. And then, as John tells us the story of Jesus, he begins to have a discussion with the Jews who are talking about tyranny and oppression and, all, and slavery, and they're completely misunderstanding the situation. And so Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And again, I, I'm really confident Jesus is not merely saying you'll have an idea that will be true and not false, and that true idea will save you or set you free. He's saying, I come as the truth, and I will set you free. And again, the story just continues as, good, as John tells it. And then chapter 14, they ask Jesus about what's going to happen after he goes to Jerusalem. Where is he going to go? And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And they have a little discussion about that, and Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here you have it in the most plain way. Jesus says, I am the truth. Yes, he's bearing witness to the truth. How does he do that? By being himself the truth, the true expression of God in flesh, bearing witness for us about what God is doing in the world to reconcile people to himself. No one is made right with God. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there, as you just kind of sweep through John's gospel, the way that God wants to be known in the world is through Jesus. The way that he sets people free is through Jesus. The way that he gives people living water that satisfies the deepest thirst of their souls through the person of Jesus. And so Jesus, in the way that he went through the world, the way that he lived and died and rose again, bears witness to himself that, yes, in fact, God is solving the problem of humanity. That Jesus himself is God's response to the pain and brokenness of this world and the pain and brokenness of you and me in particular. Jesus goes on then. He doesn't just let it say, I came to, to bear witness to the truth, period. He says, I came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth, everyone who belongs to the truth, listens to me. I think that's why he pressed Pilate a little bit more. Say, you asking this on your own behalf or somebody else put you up to this? Let's talk about what this really means. And the reality is that I hope you hear Jesus calling you today as well. Everyone of the truth hears him. Jesus is claiming to be the true king. Pilate doesn't like it. Pilate's uncomfortable with it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He rolls his eyes. He throws up his hands. So, yes, you're a king. Yeah, what is truth? And a few verses later, we recognize, first of all, how completely Pilate misses the point, but also how serious Jesus is about this kingship. Look down just a few verses to chapter 19, verse 10. So what, hap what happens between these verses is that Pilate goes out, offers them Barabbas. They say, no, we want you to crucify for us the king of the Jews. He comes back a little bit in a panic saying, I don't see any guilt in him. What are we going to do? And he says to Jesus, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him. 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus wants Pilate to know what it means for him to be the true king. He wants you to know, he wants me to know what it means that Jesus is the true king. He's the true king who has ultimate authority over every other king, over every other um, ruler in this world. His authority is unquestioned, even while he's on trial. You might say this is truly Jesus' mic drop moment where he just says, you'd have no authority. You don't even know what you're talking about. And I think it's very easy for us to do what Pilate did, to deflect or to ask the wrong question or to wonder, boy, I wonder what he's really talking about, rather than to come to grips with the true issue, what Jesus is telling us here is, I am the true king. I am the true expression of God in this world. What are you going to do with Jesus? This Christmas, what are you going to do with Jesus? I think it's way too easy, normally, to to wonder with wise men about the king of the Jews and put him in a manger and ignore him. Or somehow uh, treat him as uh, some magical figure like perhaps the shepherds might have. But here we encounter Jesus at the end of his life, right before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And Jesus is bearing witness that he himself is the true king. Reminding us that life in His kingdom is different from life anywhere else. That life in His kingdom is ushering in this new creation, this new way of living that someday will find its full expression in joy in God's presence forever. And because of that, Jesus can approach the cross knowing it's not the final chapter. Reminding Pilate and us that he is the real and eternal king. Pilate couldn't believe it and he missed it. He missed out on the life and the freedom that Jesus brings because he failed to acknowledge Jesus for who he was as a true king. It's my hope and prayer today, this Christmas season, that the wonder of it all for you will be that Jesus came to be the true and eternal King because His kingdom is from another place and He's bringing us this kingdom as a new way of living in this world that one day will find His full expression in the presence of God Himself. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss it. Because Jesus himself, our true king, said, this is why I was born. And this is why I came into the world. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, would you be gracious to us so that we might see Jesus as our true King, full of grace and truth, offering to us the fountain of living water, granting to us a freedom that we would never expect. And so, Father, would you soften our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glory of our true and eternal King, in whose name I pray, amen.